Good. Hi, I'm Tony Bond, and this is the Better Together podcast series. And I'm really excited today about uh, having a conversation with a, with a good friend, Hillary. So, uh, Hillary, uh, we got to know each other a few years ago. I don't know how many years ago was it. Do you remember? Mm, I want to say maybe like six or seven. Okay. Yeah, around six or seven years ago. So, yeah, Hillary, uh, Javali, Hillary has an unbelievable background. And uh, I'm just excited. I woke up one day, probably the middle of last year, and we had so much going on in our worlds uh, with COVID, racial tension, and I was just looking for some inspiration. So I started thinking about the people who I know that is doing some amazing work as individuals, uh, maybe sort of quietly doing amazing work. And I think that's, you immediately came to mind, Hillary. So it's like, I have only a small sense of what you do in the world, but I know that you're having a huge impact and you kind of do it <laughs> quietly. You're not like blowing up social media, but you're just getting work done. So thank you for being a part of this conversation. Oh, thank you so much for the invitation, Tony. I'm yeah, honored to talk yeah. with you. <laughs> thank you. So how, how's the year been so far? And Happy New Year. I guess we can still say Happy New Year. Uh, for a couple, <laughs> couple right, of weeks in January. Right. Yeah. But how are you? How are things going so far for you in 2021? Well, um, you know, I, I could say that uh, in a way they're going as expected <laughs> because I feel like um, we're, we're continuing our, our moment of reckoning in this country that's been underway for some time and it's getting more pronounced and more dramatic and, mm -hmm. um, you know, but it's, it's needed. It's a, it's a necessary moment to kind of see what's been shoved under the rug. <laughs> um, mm -hmm. So, you know, I'm, I'm watching with a lot of uh, empathy for those that are being impacted so dramatically by all of these difficult events and also a curiosity about how I can, you know, play a role in, in helping to bring it forward in a better way. So mm -hmm. that's kind of, that's kind of how it's going so far. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I love the word curiosity. I think that's what something we can all focus on, just be curious around, you know, what what is it for us to do as, as people to make things better? So I love that. Um, I, I, what I know about you, and I'll just describe, you describe yourself as a, as a mama, <laughs> a mother, uh, a dancer, a writer, a filmmaker, a community organizer, a philanthropist, uh, I know you live at the foothills of some, a sacred mountain in Arizona. So that's a lot. I mean, I don't know how you do all those things, but tell us a little, little bit about yourself. Like who is Hillary? How would you describe yourself? And a little bit about your background. Yeah. Um, well, I would say actually one of the things you mentioned is kind of the first and most important thing in the way I understand myself. And it is that mountain that I live next to. I live on Hopi, Havasupai, Diné land, and also land that's sacred to many other indigenous nations. And um, there's a mountain here, um, and Flagstaff is built at the base of the mountain. And um, that mountain has been sacred to many nations since the beginning of time for countless generations. And... Um, the way it's been explained to me is that the mountain is a, a female mountain and a being of kinship. And I think that living in proximity to this mountain on this land has 
really informed me and everything I do. And it's been a huge blessing for my family and our whole community really to live next to a being of kinship um, who's been revered for so long. And um, yeah, I've, I've just had a, you know, a long-term interest in issues around sustainability and social justice. And I've been a dance teacher and, um, you know, dabbled in filmmaking and I'm writing a book right now and um, also actively doing philanthropic work. So all those things are, you know, interweaving around this, this, uh, this being of kinship that's part of the land. Right. Yeah. I think uh, as we hear more about your story, we'll really get a sense of uh, how that all is playing out in your life. And, and I, I was excited because I got an email from you maybe a couple of weeks ago uh, pertaining to the sacred land that you just described. Um, so I'm, I'm, I'm just curious, would you be interested in just kind of sharing with the listeners what's going on and how you, you're getting involved to sort of protect the sacred land? Yeah, for sure. Um, this mountain is, it's called in English, the San Francisco Peaks. And um, for several years, there, there's been a, a ski resort that was built there in 1938. And for several years now, that ski resort has been um, pumping reused wastewater, um, treated sewage water, up to the top of the sacred mountain to manufacture artificial snow in order to prolong their ski season, which of course is not as long as it used to be because of climate change. And so um, I work closely here with grassroots indigenous community organizers, and we are working together to try to bring some accountability um, to that situation because, um, you know, the way that I see it and the way that I, I can probably safely share that they see it is that this is kind of a perpetuation of a colonial mindset of greed and exploitation of the natural world for financial gain that really only benefits a few. Um, and in a way, it's kind of a continuation of the cultural genocide that made this nation possible to begin with. And I say that as someone who descends from European ancestors, I have, um, you know, I come from Scottish, Irish, Scandinavian, English, German, French peoples, mostly. And, um, you know, I have ancestors who participated in the early colonization of this country and who later enslaved people. And so to me, this process of following the leadership of indigenous communities in order to protect the land, protect the water, the plants, the animals, and to protect their cultural sovereignty is um, a really important way to be accountable to that history of my own people and, you know, my ancestors and, and their role on this continent. So um, I can, I don't know if you have a way to share links with this, Tony, but I can share. We do have a petition that's circulating and we're really hoping to bring national and international attention to this issue. And we're going to be calling on Congress to provide oversight to the Forest Service and to the ski resort to try to mm -hmm. um, mitigate the damage that's being done. Right. 
Uh, absolutely. Yeah, share that link with me and I'll share it with everyone. And uh, okay. really, really appreciate what you're doing to help um, protect not only the sacred land, but caring for the people that are part of that land. So that's just a kind of a part of your story. And so I was, I was wondering, I was thinking, trying to figure out how to describe this conversation if I had to with others. And I think based on who I know you as being and the work that you're doing, maybe it's a good way to describe it as around racial healing in a way. And so, um, mm. I mean, I, I think, boy, do we need that right now. And so you wrote an essay not long ago, and I feel like that was really a, a powerful message that we can all learn a lot from. And so I, I thought maybe there's three points we can kind of touch on today. Number one is that race matters. And I think we all know that, kind of know that. But the question is, do we really know that? Because it, it shows up in ways that maybe we're just not totally uh, aware of. And then the, the second piece is that this whole conversation around power and privilege. Uh, we, we've had some internal conversations at work around power and privilege. And so uh, you have sort of a view of how it's impacting people in many different communities. And so I'd love to hear some stories around that. And then last but not least is like, uh, at some point in your life in your own journey, you've gone from kind of becoming aware of what's going on actually taking some action. You gave an example uh, of some of the actions you're taking. And so we all right now want to know, what do we do? What do we do? We want to do something, but I feel like you're doing it in combination with some contemplation. Like it's not just rushing out to do things, but you're sort of doing the inner work first and then doing these things. And so maybe we can touch on that a little bit. Uh, so those are three, three areas Does that sound good to you or. Yeah, that's wonderful. Okay. Excellent. So, we know a little bit about you, where you live at a high level, but tell us a little bit about growing up and what it was, was it like for you? How was your upbringing shaped by race? Because I think this is really sets the context around some of the things you're doing today. So would you mind just mm -hmm. kind of sharing a little bit about that? Yeah, um, well, I grew up in a, I would say middle-class progressive white family um, with parents who were educated and who cared a lot about social justice. And, um, you know, but when I look back on it in hindsight, I realized that the way race shaped my upbringing was that I didn't think I had a race. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, I, I thought, I think our story around race was like, racism is this very unfortunate thing that's impacting people of color, but it has nothing to do with us. And it's sad for them that that's happening, but um, we don't do that. And so therefore we're off the hook and therefore we don't really need to worry about race because we don't have a race. Like mm -hmm. I re I'm aware of um, not being conscious of being white. It was kind of like to be white is just to be normal. And, um, since then, you know, probably about five or six years ago, seven years ago, probably around the time we met, is when I started building more relationships with indigenous people and people of color. And I started really listening to their stories and listening to their stories and hearing the emotional impact of um, things that had happened to their grandparents, their great grandparents themselves um, and realizing, you know, 
gosh, I don't know anything about this. Like, for example, I remember sitting with Danae friends and hearing for the first time about the impacts of the Navajo Long Walk and what is called the Navajo Hopi land dispute. And these are things that majorly impacted the people of the region where I live. And I had no clue about it. And I was like in my late thirties and I hadn't even heard of some of these things in some instances. And yet I could see while sitting with them that it was extremely emotionally impactful and extremely traumatic. And that, you know, there was poverty and, um, marginalization and erasure that was happening as a result of these things. And there was historical trauma and, and I kind of had no idea before that. So Mm -hmm. I think being in those relationships um, started to open my eyes and I started to feel these incredible impacts that are happening to people who are dear to me um, that I just been totally insulated from as a white person. Hmm. Wow. The interesting thing I take from this is that you you described your family as being socially conscious, Mm -hmm. um, educated. And I'm just wondering how, what were the conversations like growing up when it comes to race? Because, you know, you finally in your thirties became aware of this, but um, I'm sure you had some conversations growing up. So something was missing, I guess. And I'm just curious, right. what were the conversations like? And was there like an event that kind of sparked, further sparked your curiosity? Or how, how did you get to where you were to where you are right now? Um, you know, I don't remember there being that much discussion about it. Except, you know, for example, it was like these, like with the civil rights movement. I had family that lived in Memphis during the civil rights movement. And it was kind of like all of these unfortunate things happened to them, you know, and um, there was not any really conversation about our role in that or how we might be contributing to that, et cetera. And, um, you know, I think the first thing that really started opening my eyes was, was relationships But then the next thing that happened as an adult, and this was about five years ago, was that I learned that I had ancestors who had immigrated here in 1739 from Scotland. Now, prior to that, the the way that I understood the family history was, well, we had these poor Scots-Irish immigrant ancestors who came to Canada and the United States, maybe four generations ago and they were extremely poor and they were extremely devout and they had to work extremely hard. So there was this kind of like Protestant, like heroic Protestant work ethic story around them. And then that was kind of as far as the story went. So it was much to my surprise when I opened a book of family, family genealogy about five years ago, and found, well, in fact, there had been ancestors who had come earlier in the 1700s who then received grants of land and who went down to Mississippi and enslaved people for several generations. So there was something about learning that 
learning that combined with the relationships I had, it, it kind of popped this bubble of denial that I had for uh, my entire life. Really. Mm -hmm. I'd had this bubble of denial that was kind of protecting and insulating me from these realities and creating almost like a very innocent mythological story that fits in with the mythology of America, you know, the, Mm -hmm. the founding myth of America about, you know, a land of freedom and opportunity and et cetera. And anybody can make it if they work hard enough. Um, (laughs) So it kind of popped that bubble to realize that my own ancestors had participated in land theft colonization and enslavement Hmm. yeah that is yeah so i'm wondering that that, that's pretty powerful and you you've gotten to that point but you're still in the same family structure and i'm not sure Mm -hmm. if others had acknowledged it to the degree that you uh, got to and so I'm, i'm i'm curious how did it how did you bring that into a dialogue or did you with family members and what was that like because uh, that's to me that's really a really hard thing to do uh, is to yeah have difficult conversations and stay in those difficult conversations especially with family members so what was that like yeah you know it i have been in dialogue about it the whole time for the last five years and but it goes slowly and um i would say my biggest ally in uh Staying in that conversation has also been being on the land. So, you know, we're very fortunate to live in this place that is covered in ponderosa pine forest and a lot of open space. And so um, I'm able to go walk in the woods every day. And um, there's been something really restorative about spending time on the land. And I've had indigenous friends and mentors who have kind of encouraged me to do that and also black friends who have encouraged me to basically just sit with it and not give up and you know when I first started talking about these things to other white people I would often find that I was bumping up on something that was I was I was breaking a taboo you know Mm -hmm. In, in white culture, if you could call it that, <laughs> um, mm-hmm. that's one of our rules is that we don't talk about this. And mm-hmm. if we do talk about it, we um, excuse it and we dismiss it very quickly. And so there was a lot of difficulty. And for several years, I felt kind of alienated, you know, mm-hmm. and um, but I that's gradually shifting too. And I think as this conversation is becoming more normalized in the media and just, you know, in our like public discourse, it's easier to start talking about it with people um, Mm -hmm. than it was even a few years ago. So it's already changing a lot in the last few years. Right. Right. So how do you, uh, we mentioned power and privilege now that you're, you've built these relationships with mm-hmm. indigenous people, you've built relationships with blacks and others. Uh, how are you seeing power and privilege playing out? Like, I guess now you're kind of more aware of the benefit of it, it, that comes along with being white. 
uh, based mm -hmm. on having these strong relationships. What what are some of the like aha moments that you've had as it relates to, to power and privilege? Well, I've noticed, for example, that sometimes, you know, in these relationships, people will say things to me and the the first layer of it is very um, shocking. Like, like, for example, they'll say to me, well, white people have no culture. So of course you guys don't know how to behave <laughs> or, um, you know, or they'll tell me, they'll tell me something about, you know, African-American history that I've never been taught because that's a huge part of this whole problem is that our education system has been rigged to tell a stilted version of history, you know, so, so I'll learn something new about African-American history. Like, you know, people who were enslaved were legally prohibited from learning how to read, you know, and write mm -hmm. for, I don't even know how long, hundreds of years. I'll, I'll learn something like that. It's a new piece of information or it's something that is like kind of a, a slap in the face to my white innocence, you know, mm -hmm. and I've learned over the years to just feel the shock that happens with that and then keep my mouth shut pretty much mm -hmm. and just mm -hmm. um, digest it. And that's, you know, when, when we talk about white fragility, I really think white fragility comes out of a wound that we have as white people because there's a, um, there's a certain way that in order to enforce and maintain and create all of this white supremacy, that, that come, that, that doesn't come for free. That, that creates a wounding to the perpetrators of that. And many of us have had to shove these things down deep down inside of ourselves. And when they're confronted, we become defensive, right? And that's where right. the white fragility comes in about, denying what they're telling you or arguing with it or saying, Oh, well, not all white people are like that or whatever. But I found a lot of um, healing just from learning to be quiet and listen to what they're saying and digest it and sit with it, sit on the land with it, um, cry about it in the woods, <laughs> not, mm -hmm. not cry, not cry to derail um, a meeting, you know, but right. cry, cry in the woods, um, pray about it, um, you know, write about it, have dreams and see what kind of messages come to me and just take my time to really get what's being said to me. And, and eventually there's something that happens through that process of uh, learning how to be empathetic and really mm -hmm. feel how painful it is to be in a different identity because of the violence that is inflicted in an, you know, inequitable manner, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah. I love that. You just described the beautiful process. I feel like being quiet, listening, you know, you're developing empathy, but you're also brought in the aspect of nature, uh, being in, in nature, crying in the woods. And so to me, you just kind of painted a blueprint of what can help us, transform ourselves inside because i think that's really mm. important before we start doing things 
there's some personal transformation that has to happen. So thank you. Thank you for giving that beautiful blueprint. Um, that's, that's like a nice flow of how we can do that. Are you familiar yeah. with, uh, there are a couple of podcasts. I just sort of stumbled across one and it's, I thought of you and it's called All My Relations. Have you listened to that podcast? I haven't heard that. No. Yeah, I'll, I'll send you a link, but it's really um, exploring different uh, issues around indigenous communities. And oh, cool. what, really, what really stands out to me, and, and I learned this when I was with you and how we met, but this whole concept of all my relations and how we are, you know, our relations go beyond just our family and people, but also the nature uh, that surrounds us. And it's kind of this whole idea that the smallest unit within these indigenous communities is not the individual, but it's more about the family and the family is pretty broad. That includes nature, animals, and everything else. So mm -hmm. you just painted a picture to me that made me think of all my relations and sort of being in that place and helping you to really transform inside so that you know not only what to do, but how to do it to make a difference. So yeah, thank you for oh, that. Oh, that sounds like a great podcast. <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll send it to you. <laughs> yeah. So I'm wondering, uh, you put a lot in this essay that you put together and I had the privilege of reading and can you just kind of give the listeners a little bit of a, a story around what you wrote? Because I believe you're, you're working on a book you mentioned as well, correct? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. that um, I'm working on a book about this process that I've been going through. And um, one of, I've had some wonderful people um, offering and helping with reading the manuscript that's in process, which is, a total labor of love to read, <laughs> read an unfinished book and give feedback. Um, and one of my readers said to me when she came to the part where I was talking about reparations and reparative philanthropy, she said, I, I think you need to publish this excerpt early because so I can help, you know, pass it around and share it to people who might be able to benefit from that. And so I did. And, uh, that that is an excerpt out of the book that essay and it's it's basically about a little bit about the process i've been sharing and also um you know i'm married into a philanthropic family so i find myself with privilege that is way more than what i grew up with and um and as part of, you know, examining that privilege and being in the position of doing philanthropy and deciding how money moves, I've just done a lot of soul searching about power and how power gets consolidated in this nation. And, you know, really starting to understand that the power is being consolidated along historic lines. Um, you know, the, the age and the day and the form of colonization and slavery has changed, but they've really just changed form. It's not, it's not that those things are over and done with. It's that they've taken a different form. And the form directly relates back to how they originally began in this country. So um, I've, you know, I've adopted a philosophy of with with the philanthropy that we do of really saying these resources aren't mine to begin with these resources were built on 
stolen land with stolen lives and stolen labor through this these centuries of this American experiment. And they've been consolidated into the hands of people like me. And now I need to give them back. And mm-hmm. it's not just about giving them back, but it's also about giving back the power that comes with those resources. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's really what we've been working on is trying to examine how can we return power as well? Cause that's probably just as important, if not more important, Mm-hmm. Yeah. So giving the power with those resources, that's more of allowing the individual or the people to decide how those resources are used or give me a little bit of a idea of what, yeah. what it means to give the power along with the resource. Yeah. Well, okay. So I can give you um, an example of two projects we were involved with last year. One was a grant making circle that happened in Mississippi And we specifically did it there because that is where my ancestors enslaved people. And so there was um, someone who was, you know, we were working with a a bank called RSF Social Finance, and they identified someone who was working as kind of a community hub in Jackson. Um, Mm -hmm. Her organization is called Springboard to Opportunities, and she helped put together a group of community-based Black-led organizations in Jackson, and they worked together over time. And basically, they decided together how to allocate the money. So we, my husband and I, gave up our decision-making power. Um, Mm. We're not going to be receiving reports from any of those organizations. Any information that we receive is up to their discretion. They choose Mm -hmm. what to tell us, what not to tell us. And it's really um, an exercise in building community for them to build community amongst themselves with each other and to create a collaborative, supportive network with each other. Um, Another example is um, an Indigenous Women's Flow Fund that is organized by the Kindle Project. And in that case, um, there's a group of donors, and then there are a group of indigenous women who are a cohort that are working together for three years to allocate grant monies as they see fit within their own communities. So that's really about, um, you know, returning decision-making power back to the indigenous matriarchal roots that many of those cultures had before the Europeans came here. So it's really about Mm -hmm. going back to their cultural integrity before it was interrupted by European settlers. Wow. That's amazing. I I so appreciate what you're describing because I grew up on the East coast. Uh, Well, most of my life has been on the East coast and uh, I won't name the cities, but you know, within some of these larger cities, you have many universities, you have many uh, nonprofits, you have you know, medical facilities. And so they're all trying to do things to make it better for some of the people on the margin. But for some reason, the power transfer isn't there. And the reason I say that is if you talk to a lot of the people that are in need, and at times they feel like they're a part of one big experiment. Like, you know, their lives mm-hmm. aren't getting better. 
there are people who feel like they're making it better and they're giving all these resources it's been being done in a way where that transfer of power isn't there so i mm -hmm. love how you're approaching it that makes so much sense to me um this is well awesome. and you know it's interesting too because um like it can be hard to get to that point of saying okay yeah i need to share power the more power one has the it's like the more blinders one has <laughs> mm -hmm. the more the more denial you know the more power the more denial but i found that you know pushing through that and and trying to continually get to the other side of that and it's an ongoing process you know it's not it's not done <laughs> by any mm -hmm. means but there's something yeah. um really liberating about it because the truth is, it's like, we don't know. We don't know what needs to happen. Mm -hmm. The communities that are most impacted and have been marginalized the most are the ones that actually know what needs to happen the most. And they also mm -hmm. have developed a whole set of skills and a toolbox of resilience that many of us who are in positions of power don't have. Mm -hmm. So... Yeah. It's, it's a relief to me to um, return that power because uh, yeah. there, there are a lot of people that know much better than I know about how to move this forward in the best way. Yeah, that makes so much sense. If you don't do that, then some of the decisions and actions you take are probably mm -hmm. kind of tethered to a system that's flawed in the very beginning. So, yeah, that's that's key. Beautiful. Wow. Well, I know that we're coming up on time. I promised you not only to use a half an hour of your time, <laughs> we're, we've gone a little <laughs> bit over and I know that you're super busy, but uh, one last question is uh, any thoughts for like, we're all right now sitting, trying to figure out how do we make things better? Uh, I have a lot of friends who are white and uh, they're starting to sort of realize because things are almost being played out in front of us now with mm -hmm. such access to live events and the things that are happening. So what recommendation would you give to someone who's just starting to see things in a different way and want to do something, but aren't quite sure what to do, aren't quite sure how to have the conversations with maybe even family members? What, what mm -hmm. advice would you give? Hmm. Well, um, you know, there are a ton of resources out there that are available and it's always good to read those. And I, I have many listed on my website that I have found useful in particular. Um, okay. So I think it's good to read and watch films. Um, but it's also really important to listen within, you know, and um, mm -hmm. pay attention to the feelings I notice that sometimes a lot of us, we want to, like with the events at the Capitol last week, a lot of us want to um, distance ourselves from that and say, oh, well, that's just a bunch of crazy people and we don't do that. And, um, but in some ways we are all complicit in that. There's a so I, that's kind of what I would suggest is to do, do the deep inquiry of, for example, if you are a white person 
Um, look at your own ancestry. Where did your people come from? Why did they immigrate? What were the conditions? Um, where did they move? Whose land are you living on right now? And whose land did your ancestors live on? Did your ancestors receive grants of land? Um, did they participate in wars on this land, etc.? And to kind of go, go back into the history, go back into the family stories of identity, um, of belonging, you know, what were the narratives that were told, and just kind of start unpacking them and talking with each other. Talk with the elders in the family, listen to the family stories, and then just be open to hearing maybe how our people did help create this. Maybe how I'm creating it right now, how I'm benefiting from it right now. And those are, those are uncomfortable questions to sit with, but I think that that discomfort is actually um, our gateway into uh, coming into another way of being with us. <laughs> you know, it makes us mm -hmm. stronger in a way and um, it gives us a grounding to, to take different kinds of actions in the future. Yeah, I love that. I think that's good advice, you know, if you're white, but even if you're not white, I think about about my own background and certain things that came my way because of certain situations I was in, you know, being a great athlete got me into really good schools, da, 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 da. So there's, even if we're not white, there's, I think, benefit in looking through our own journey and mm. understanding how it's helped us, how it's given us power more so than other people. That's, that's a great uh, thing to keep in mind. So. Right. This has been wonderful, Hillary. I, I, if I had to sum it up, it sounds like you mentioned quite a bit, like really knowing what's, when we think in terms of power and privilege, racial healing, really understanding what's inside of us, what's inside of, you know, each and every one of us and being there and sitting with that. Uh, you talked a lot about building relationships, uh, getting to know people that maybe you haven't grown up with, and then making conscious decisions, like moving forward in a very conscious way. Those are some of the kind of key things I took from the conversation, but there's much more than that. But I just wanna thank you for uh, sharing your story. It's an example of, I say quietly, because I'm on social media quite a bit. I don't see you blowing up all of the different channels about things you're doing, but you're doing things that are really impactful. So thank mm, you so much. Thank you. Yeah. yeah, thank you, Tony. It's been wonderful to talk with you. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, if, if people want, you send the link and I'll share that around the, uh, the mountain, the sacred land that you mentioned so that okay. people can support that. And uh, yeah, if people want to reach you or want to have some connection, you have a website you mentioned, right? That, so Yes, I do. Yeah, um, that's um, www.goodrelative.com. Excellent. Yeah. Yeah. Well, all the best for 2021. I look forward to uh, keeping the conversation going. And uh, thank you so much, Hillary. Yeah, thank you too, Tony. Have a great new year. <laughs> okay, bye-bye. Bye-bye.